This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have in this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. This podcast is all about that. The guest on my podcast this week is Omar Tabakol, CEO of Voicea. I was running the Oracle Data Cloud after Oracle acquired my company before this, the Blue Kai. And I'd meet with some great leaders like, you know, Satya at Microsoft, of course, Larry Ellison, Sir Martin Sorrell, just great business leaders. And what struck me when I'd meet them is that they'd be in a meeting with me completely focused on our conversation. They didn't have their laptop open so that they could take notes and then get distracted. And they just really, they didn't, weren't looking at their phone. They were looking at me. And when they left the meeting, there was an email with a follow-up. And you realize, of course, they have a staff around them that's helping them, but they also had some excellent skills themselves. And so given how much time we spend in meetings, it's one of the largest time sinks of all knowledge workers. I thought that there was an opportunity really to help democratize the skills of these great executives. This is Omar. He's the chief executive officer of Voicea, which was recently acquired by Cisco. Prior to Voicea, Tomar Tawakol was the founder and CEO of BlueKai, which was the leading data exchange and data management platform company in the marketing industry. Oracle acquired BlueKai in 2014. And at Oracle, Omar became the SVP and GM of the Oracle Data Cloud. The Oracle Data Cloud pioneered the data as a service category and was used by 97 of the top 100 US brands to create a 360 degree view of their customers across all channels. Omar earned a Master's in Computer Science from Stanford and a Bachelor of Science from MIT, where he researched and published work on AI agents. In 2016, he left Oracle to found Voicea. Their promise? Voicea transforms your meeting into time well spent. And this inspired me, hence I invited Omar to my podcast. We explore what is broken in our busy business life that is increasingly loaded with meetings and what can be if technology and people blend in the right way. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that a new generation of applications is arising around the concept of a voice-first UI, and that this could open up a wealth of opportunity of innovation for you. Secondly, why the best way to solve a problem is often to do the very opposite of people's natural reaction. Voicea, for example, transforms habits such as a fear of missing out into a joy of missing out. Thirdly, how big impact is created by looking for areas where you can have a position of data advantage, or ideally, a data dominance. And fourthly, why you should aim to embed elements of virality in your solution, 
elements that people talk about and create desire amongst others. So Omar, thank you very much for making this, making the time available on your busy agenda today. And yeah, introduce and kind of talk about the whole purpose and idea of Voicia, the company that you run. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so basically we build an enterprise voice assistant that helps make meetings a lot more productive so that you walk into a meeting and come out of it with actions and decisions and impact to your workflow. Yeah, I mean, I saw it on your website. We think meetings can be much more productive than ever. So why did you, I mean, what is the problem here in the market? What was the, the, the thing that you saw that made you realize we have to do something about this? So first off, I was running the Oracle Data Cloud after Oracle acquired my company before this, the Blue Kai. Okay. And the Oracle Data Cloud was a big business, and I'd meet with some great leaders like, you know, Satya at Microsoft, of course, Larry Ellison, Sir Martin Sorrell, just great business leaders. And what struck me when I'd meet them is that they'd be in a meeting with me completely focused on our conversation. They didn't have their laptop open so that they could take notes and then get distracted. Yeah. And they just really, they didn't, weren't looking at their phone. They were looking at me. And when they left the meeting, there was an email with a follow-up. And you realize, of course, they have a staff around them that's helping them, but they also had some excellent skills themselves. And so given how much time we spend in meetings, it's one of the largest time sinks of all knowledge workers. I thought that there was an opportunity really to help democratize the skills of these great executives because they had an entourage of assistants and you can't really afford to have an entourage of assistants unless you're a CEO. So what we wanted to do is create the digital assistants that really helped in just the two or three skills that were fundamental to make you more productive. Really? Okay. That's interesting. And I realize, you know, these, these leaders, I mean, that's also maybe why they are such big leaders, being fully devoted to well, to spend their time with all the attention they have in order to make the most out of it. Exactly. So the big idea was about democratizing the leadership, well, the, the kind of, well the, having the skills and providing them to people that don't have the, the following and the staff to help them out. So what is the opportunity if we get this right? Yeah, and actually, I'll even add one more component to the big idea, which is part of how we thought we would solve it, is that okay. we were looking at the trend of voice first in the home. And you'd see people walk into a kitchen and you know ask Alexa to play a, to turn on a, a timer or play a song. And we saw this new opportunity start to emerge in this concept of a voice first UI. And something actually very interesting happened last year. Last year was the first year that a child named Joe Brady uttered their first words and it wasn't mom or dad, it was Alexa. And unfortunate for their family, but, but it's really a sign of something fundamental that's changing in our relationship with devices. Yeah. And that is there's a, a new generation of applications that will be created where the end user doesn't have to learn the UI of the device or the UI of your software. Rather, the device or software maker has to learn your mode of interaction. So it learns how to talk to you and it looks at how you like to talk versus what it knows and it changes over time to accommodate how you like to say things. Yeah. So this is a fundamental rework in UI. And we looked at that voice first kind of revolution and said it hasn't hit the enterprise yet. So how would you change what voice first means to be, instead of a, a person in the kitchen alone, five people in a boardroom, in what mode would they want voice first UIs to enable them? And that's yeah. really... The, what we wanted to focus on. 
I can understand. And yeah, that's, I mean, you don't even realize that, well, first of all, when I first heard about Eva, I thought it was, okay, it's listening in and then it's making notes and it's providing you with summaries of that. But obviously it goes far beyond it, right? Yeah, that's right. And that is the core starting point, which is let Eva has our back. You and I can have this conversation. I don't have to have my laptop open taking notes. It's going to record it and transcribe it and so on. But in addition to that, it'll help you identify implicit moments that look like their actions and decisions and markers of agendas and you know whatever you think is important, it'll do that for you and put it in the highlight reel because we don't think people go to five hours of meetings to read five hours of transcripts. Nope. So we try to identify what's kind of more useful. In addition, it has this concept of voice commands where if it's socially reasonable, like you might say, you know, hey, Omar, you know, share, me, share the contract with me, I might then give a voice command. I won't do it now because Eva's actually on this call. And so what, what I would be able to do is say, create a task or schedule the next meeting or ask other people to join or switch translation to Japanese and do all these things that will, that will impact my workflow immediately. Interesting. So yeah, what do you believe, I mean, from all the research that you've done around meetings, what do you believe are, the, let's say, the top three things that, that really need help and attention to get them to the next level? Because that's what you're saying. Meetings can be much more productive. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, we kind of call this the PSA for meetings. So people, structure, and activation. So people dynamics is the first area we need help. And on the people dynamics front, there's two core areas. Number one, focus. Having good attention is the skill of a superhero. <laughs> and, and we want to be able to bring that to everybody because it's not like IQ where kind of people think of it as more fi fixed. Attention is something that can be fostered. And so the first thing is don't force you to have your face in a screen where you're going to get distracted and notifications. Look up at the people and have the conversations. Have the right people dynamics. True. The second area of people dynamics, which is super interesting, is a lot of people go to meetings because they have a fear of missing out, but they don't really intend on participating. They just kind of show up with their laptop open. And what we try to do is transform that from the fear of missing out to the joy of missing out to say, if you're not going to participate, you don't have to go. Eva will go for you. You'll get a summary go and participate or don't go and get the summary. And so you transform those meetings to a bunch of meetings where people are fully engaged. So that's the people dynamics. On the structure front, it's fairly simple. We try to nudge people into having an agenda and marking it to be able to highlight what the actions and decisions are. So when you leave, you don't have a question of what you agreed to and you share those with others. And the last part of what we do is really what I call activation and analytics. And that's really about sharing your actions into your, your work application. So you push it to Asana or Salesforce or Trello mm -hmm. so that you have the continuity to make sure that those actions actually get done, along with some analytics that help you get better over time. Like, you know, was I dominating the speech? Did the other people have an opportunity to talk? And so on. Okay. So those are, those are the dynamics we try to improve. Makes complete sense. And sounds like music to my ears to kind of use it myself, which I've already started doing, but only shortly. <laughs> so getting, getting to that and then I'll move on with it. So leading a voice first, and I, I completely agree with that, with that trend. So the opportunity is to, to make meetings, meetings better. And I, I really like your, your point about kind of the fear of missing out to the joy of missing out. Because I, I mean, from my corporate life, I've seen it as well. It's, I've been in too many meetings where sometimes you ask yourself, like, why, why did I need to? 
be here. Yeah. At, one point, at one point, we had a very strong CEO who actually made you aware of the fact that you were not needed anymore. So <laughs> but again, it's the leader part again. I mean, there's hours and hours and weeks and weeks spent on that. And uh, you can use your time in such a, better, such a better way. So, yeah, I mean, I'm always interested in, in the aha moment. And you talked about it a little, a little in the beginning. But what's, what sparked the idea to, to start a company? And, and how did you start off with, with your first product? Yeah, we actually started off with our goal for the beginning was this kind of helping people get the best skills of the best executives. We actually started with something else before we got funding. And it was an app that would look at your calendar and look at your email and nudge you into, hey, you haven't responded to this person. This person typically responds to you in one hour and you respond in three days. Don't cancel the second one. You've already canceled it twice. You know, stuff like that. It was a really good coach. And a bunch of us used it. We never released it to the general public and never got funding for it. We never asked for funding for it. And the reason was that when I looked at the domain, calendar and email are half owned by Google and half owned by Microsoft. And my fundamental belief when building the Oracle data cloud, you know, it it grew to a $500 million business, was that you needed a data advantage to win in AI. And if Google and Microsoft already owned half the world's data and calendar and email, any AI that you would create, no matter how good, eventually would be beat by something they would do. Yeah. Even if they bought a competitor that was much worse than you, when you add the data, they would win. So then we started looking at you know, building this capability on voice because 99.99% of all voice in the enterprise is not digitized. It's dropped in the ether. There's no system of record. Nobody owns it. So it looked like a white space opportunity where if you built something that was trusted by people and helped them become more productive, you could get a data advantage and start to become more accurate and more personal. And that's why we went this way. Yeah, that's interesting. And I I completely agree with you on the data advantage that you'll there. I mean, that's that's the, the, the only thing that matters these days. If you have the data, then you can do so many things, which is also one of the things I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment. And one of the things that I see is, is still very, how do you say that, under, underutilized is the fact that a lot of vendors have a lot of data, but they don't, use, they don't use it to do useful things with that. So there's a lot of opportunity there still. Oh, um, absolutely. Do you mind if I riff on that for a second? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so one of the areas of AI that fascinates me the most that someone once asked me is, you know, are we done with voice AI? Like, is the technology, you know, the research already done and we just have to apply it? And the answer is absolutely not. They're still in multi-speaker environments with accents and acronyms. The error rates are still far worse than what people will tell you. So so there's a really good piece of research that needs to be done. And I think it's about self-supervised learning. So, you know, our kids are able to learn very quickly. We don't have to label 2,000 cats and 2,000 dogs and tell them that's a cat and that's a dog, right? But everything that we've been doing so far in voice and image recognition and so on relies on the fact that you have lots and lots of labels. So when people talk about the fact that they have a lot of data, what they leave out is there's only a subset of that data that's actually cleanly labeled. And if you look at voice, it's got a power curve distribution where people will tend to label the head, but not the tail. 
And it's precisely in the tail where you miss the accents and the acronyms. And you have all these like biases, like a lot of the voice agents have a higher error rate for, for women than for men because they're underrepresented in, in the labeled data. So okay. I think we need to crack this nut. We need to solve self-supervised learning. It will open up a lot more learning across a lot more data yep. and it will remove biases and it will increase accuracy. So I think, I think this is a very interesting area and the next few years are going to see, I think, a big transformation here. Yeah, exactly. And then also beyond just understanding what people say in terms of, I mean, making, making the right transcript and yeah, distilling, for example, actions from it. Another aspect, which I also had one guest on my podcast, and next one coming up, is about like what is the meaning of what people are saying and also in terms of tonation and these type of things, which is also very interesting if you kind of apply that to meetings. Absolutely. Are people yes. really saying what they are saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, by the way, that's a fascinating area. I personally, not in our AI, but I personally pay attention. And I think I learned this skill almost like riding a bike. So it's to the pauses in people's speech. Because usually what happens is frequent pauses that aren't the regular cadence for that speaker indicates cognitive dissonance, which means exactly. they they're either don't believe what they're saying or they're just uncomfortable with it. And so it's a super useful signal coming out of speech. Absolutely. Yeah. That is what is where you can add a dimension that is super useful because no one really kind of gets that during the meeting. Correct. Maybe, well, maybe to an extent, but, but AI can do that with so much more accuracy. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, the reason why I started my podcast was to kind of showcase uh, scenarios and stories about the value we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Meaning in this case, it's, that, it's, that it's technology making people better rather than automating them out of a job. And one of the things that I, I think saw on your website was, you know, how you're, you know, that. I think you call it the pendulum swing. The, the things between doing really things completely automatic or actually having the, the user in the loop in order to make those people stronger at the end. So, so what is your view on that? That's a wonderful question. And I go back to our investors include like Google and Microsoft and Cisco mm-hmm. and a bunch, of, a bunch of folks. But when we spoke to the Google guys, they said, look, we started we didn't put up a box and say, ask a question and we'll give you an answer, right? We could have done that. That's what, you know, if you would have asked a user, they would say, just answer my question. What they did is they put up a box and said, put in a keyword or two and we're going to provide 10 links as an answer. And hopefully one of those 10 links is what you were looking for, right? So pay attention to their expectation setting. It was very well done and they exceeded it and they exceeded it fantastically, right? So if you look at kind of another application area, when I walk into my kitchen, Alexa doesn't notice that my wife's in the kitchen and then plays romantic music or notices that the tone changed between us and then plays Star Wars, right? It's, it, it's not doing that. I have to ask for a song for it to play it. Yeah. And it, it did really well there. Whereas Siri, after Steve Jobs passed away, they hired some of the best actors and actresses in the world to have these long conversations with Siri in the ad. And honestly, that just set the expectation too high and it let people down. And so when we were building this product, we've always had this tension where, you know, if you ask our assistant, Eva, to do something, it will respond and do it for you. But some people would come to us and say, I I want a mode where I don't ask for anything and it just automatically does all these things. And we started implementing a whole bunch of these kind of automatic predictive 
responses and actions. And we learned over time that some of them were too presumptive and would create noise. So we had to tone it back and say, even though you ask for this behavior, when you ask the question, you're innocent, you don't know how good AI can actually perform in this domain. And so what we have to do is kind of think about the question behind your question and say, even though you're asking for, I'm not gonna give you exactly that. And we're gonna tone it down a little bit so that we, we kind of have been exploring this space since we started between doing things predictively that you might want versus only doing it as a response to your query or question. And that's where I think a lot of AI fails, where the, the developers get really excited. They do all this predictive stuff. It's not as accurate as they think. They haven't thought through the situation. It creates noise, yeah. d- develops a lack of trust. And so you're better off really building on trust and not completely jumping to the pure predictive. At the end, yeah, that's correct. Completely agree. It's about uh, what you said correctly, exceeding expectations. It's a very important point. And that expectation sometimes isn't even extremely high, but the moment you kind of meet that and just go beyond it, that's why you create fans and you get, you get actually adoption of the product. Absolutely. And getting the, the whole point in the precision recall curve right is just, yeah. it's tricky. It requires a lot of thinking where, you know, I was once with a um, really smart data scientist ML person and, and their response was, well, well, doesn't the user know like they can't get that? And I'm like, not really. That's, no. yeah. The users aren't going to be that thoughtful about the domain. They just want the delight. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, Kind of when you started and you created your first products, where, I mean, like you just talked about uh, Steve Jobs. Let's, let's bring him back up. He used to say, innovation is not about what you do. It's a lot about what you don't do. So were there any things you said no to in order to create the product that you have today? Yeah, I mean, there were a bunch of things we said no to. Some of them we were wrong about. So when we started, our rule was we're not going to produce a transcript. Our whole uh-huh. job is to get you to the actions and the decisions, just the yeah. key moments, because we could spend a lot more on the computation of those so that we get them at a higher accuracy. It will be less noisy, and you really just want the summary anyway. It turned out we were wrong about that because most people said, no, but I just want the transcript just in case. And they were so distracted by that. We're like, okay, you know, we have to produce that. Then a bunch of people told us, hey, we want these in all languages. And we actually can get to more languages faster, but we don't. We're trying to perfect the end-to-end experience. And we get better every single month. Our integrations get broader. Our our virality increases. Our cost of acquisition goes down. Our cost of production goes down. We're just getting better and better. And a certain tipping point, we'll look at it and say, okay, now this is just about replicating that formula, you know, across another 35 languages. And so, and people push us pretty hard on that. And unfortunately, we've been, you know, we've had to resist because you just can't do everything great at the same time. You got to get some focus. Well, I mean, it's the whole thing between going wide and, and shallow versus very going narrow and very deep. And I think, I think at the end, narrow and deep wins. I'm totally with you. And I never go in one of these kind of focusing efforts and come out and saying, oh, I focus too much. <laughs> it's, it just oh. usually doesn't happen that way. You're like, oh, great, I achieved something. Well, it goes back to the earlier discussion around exceeding expectations. You can only do that the moment you, well, you nail it beyond the expectation. Yep, that's right. And again, if the transcript is there, you, you do your 40 languages, but it's sort of, you know, I mean, I've seen those. I've, when I started to use transcript technology and I'm, I'm using another technology at the moment still, I tested about six or seven on the same podcast. And the, the level of difference between them, 
you know, it's still it's still mind blowing. That was half a year ago. I mean, it, it increases dramatically. The accuracy is is a lot better, specifically on my way of talking English because I'm not I'm not native. <laughs> so mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So I agree with you on that one. So, I mean, we already t- I think now we, we didn't. Yeah, from the product that you've created, were there any surprising byproducts that came out of it where you said, hey, I wasn't expecting this? Well, one of the areas that this kind of listening to our customers took us to is that a lot of the customers weren't just looking at a meeting at a time. They right. weren't just saying, I needed to do this meeting and be done with it, and it's ephemeral. And so out of that, the concept of a conversations inbox for a team evolved. You know, you've got email, which has your kind of back and forth with people, Slack, back and forth with your team. And what we wanted to do is capture all your conversations, whether it was on Zoom or WebEx or whether it was a phone call or whether it was just a one-on-one, we capture it, but we'd also capture your team's conversations where they wanted to go into a channel that was accessible to you. Uh-huh. And then we created search so that you could search across these meetings yep. and you, you start to build an, an asset, which is really interesting. And you start to log into this conversations inbox and you see these like badges telling you, oh, you've got a new meeting that you didn't go to that's relevant to you. And so we, we're starting to see the evolution of what we think is going to be a new piece of your workday, like email or Slack, and it'll be this, what we're calling the conversations inbox. So it's a very interesting concept that we couldn't have created it in a lab. It, it really emerged watching and listening and hearing our customers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I completely agree that, that searching those transcripts is extremely useful. I'm, I'm doing, that, doing that all the time these days. Fantastic. It makes such a, such a lot of sense. So yeah. So when you when you when you launched the product, when was that? By the way, was it? Yeah. So 2017 is when the team assembled and we really got cracking. You know, we were working in you know on our own before then prototyping, but the company people started joining full time in 2017, and we basically did a seed at that point. We went to alpha that summer. beta at the end of that year. Then we immediately did our Series A with the corporate investors. And then we started charging for it last summer. And then we launched the team solution earlier this year. Yeah, okay. So what did you learn selling this? I mean, since this is such new technology, what what type of organizations are are really eager to adopt? Were were people skeptical about it? What did you learn? Yeah, so it's evolved over time. Before we had the team solution, it was very much a small to medium businesses. It's a what I call a consumerized B2B approach, meaning anybody can use it. We have a free version. It grows virally. And we started getting a whole bunch of domains. And then when we started to offer the team's version, that's when we started to see the bigger companies engage. So to yes. give you a sense, you know, more than 10,000 companies are using us. If you take wow. the top 30 Dow companies, 23 of them have users that are using us. Our viral coefficient is quite large. It's getting close to one. Cool. So it started off individual user and small to mid, but it's, it's rising quickly to the big companies. Yeah, I can imagine, especially when, when, well, with the things you just talked about. So what was the most important thing kind of behind your launch? Because I mean, 2017 till now is two years and already having 10,000 customers using the product is, I would say, a dream to a lot of companies. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing about how we've advanced here is the speed with which we learn and we iterate. Because, you know, if I'm completely honest with you, every month I look back and I'm embarrassed about something. 
because it's so hard to get this domain right. You yeah. only hope you have is fast iteration, ability to kill features that you know you might have been passionate about that didn't meet the customer's desires, alter the way you do things, look at the data, and learn fast. I often will come into a quarter with some strategy I want to implement, but then we'll review what the customers are reacting to and asking for, and I'll say, you know what, I've got my desires, my customers have their desires, the customer wins. Now, that doesn't mean you completely navigate just on what they want, because you have to look ahead for them, and you have to have some balance, yeah. but with this kind of, it's not a top-down sale where you get the CEO to, to mandate the whole company uses it, it's a bottoms-up people got to like it type product, you really have to be ruthless in your looking at the data, understanding people's reactions and, and fine tuning what they do. And, and that may be the single thing that we've done the best is learn and iterate and listen. And honestly, we, you can't do it well enough. Let me make a small interruption here. Omar just made an excellent remark about his secret to success. Learn, iterate, listen. Doing this in connection to the big idea behind Foysia gives them an incredibly strong hook to tune their solution to perfection so it becomes remarkable to its users. And that's the recipe to create viral growth. If you want this as well, and you want to get some fresh guidance about what you can do to make your business software both remarkable and impactful, just drop me a note at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Back to the interview. Yeah, I got to concur with that. That's it speaks to for what I call curiosity as well. And it's that being eager to do that and keep doing that, but also keep, I mean, do you have a kind of a large scale vision where you want to end up kind of over time? I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think where, where we're trying to take this is I think is a lot of the aspects of our vision are ahead of the marketplace and have been ahead of the marketplace. And that's where we've had to be really good at listening and saying, you know what, the, the adoption curve for the most advanced people, we're going to give them those features, but we're not going to put them in the onboard. We're not going to make that the lead of the product. And we've been having to be very careful about that, about you know having these types of interactions where you're willing to give a command to Eva to ask Eva to do something, and then Eva will actually go into your other systems, place the information there, and so that before you ever leave a meeting, you've already updated other people and other systems. <laughs> That's where we see a subset of our customers way ahead of everybody else doing that and leading the way. Yeah. But we still have to build those features for everybody else because they'll get there one or two years later. So balancing those more forward-looking workflow impacting features versus the you know basic transcript and search is where, where it's important. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is having an assistant that's there with you, knows what's important to you, and can respond to things and impact systems. So instead of leaving your day with seven meetings you have to do follow-ups for, some of those follow-ups have already been placed inside Salesforce, inside Trello, inside Asana, and you don't have to spend more time in our UI. We've kind of taken your voice as the UI and impacted the downstream system effectively. And we want to make it so that we actually can measure our impact on your day so that you have fewer meetings because they're more productive. Yeah, so it works on a, in a number of ways. More productive meetings, less meetings, and less follow-up at the very, very end. Correct. And having a record of what's being, what has been said and, and who said it, that's also another important thing. Right. I mean, you like you want to be able to be on your drive home and, and ask Eva, what were the action items for my meetings today? And okay, did you update Trello with that? 
and please send a note to Bob so that he's aware of it also. You know, you, you want to be able to do all those stuff, but that takes time. It takes some, you know, user getting comfortable and so on. So we, you know, we're there for the journey. Exactly. The customers that you have and the, and the customers you've been talking to and, and hearing about, what are you most proud of? Is there any specific anecdotes on that? Yeah. So if you look at some anecdotes, you know, we were being used by this consulting company that did finance work. And basically they started by saying, hey, we realized we had to have this on all customer calls so that we can review what the customer said. And then we once saw some situations where the customers, you know, changed their ask after we started the work. And once we saw that we had captured that with Eva, we mandated it to everybody on the team to use it. And you just started to see them, you know, grow their, their usage as they got uh, familiar. We had, you know, another person who works with universities who basically has Eva project onto the screen while they're, while they're presenting so that you can see closed captioning in real, in real time. And they also switch the language so that it can translate the closed captioning into other languages for students in the audience. You know, we see use cases where project managers put it in all their meetings so that they can really curate very detailed, specific actions and notes after it. And they, they, if they come into a meeting and they don't see Eva there, they require it to be there. <laughs> That's what I would call, yeah, a real kind of a human machine combination. That's the way it should be. It should be done. Really, your body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm writing a book about. I mean, it's typically around the ten traits of a remarkable software company. And I mean, I'm always interesting to kind of hear the, the views from my from my audience or well, from my guest on that. Since you've built this company, which I think is already doing remarkable things. What do you believe is the secret of becoming a remarkable software company? You know, I'll answer a related question that's easier, which is what is the mo- what are our most important cultural attributes? Because that's kind of how we went about to answer your question. And so the first thing is we have a, a very strong GSD culture, get stuff done, get shit done, whatever you want to say it. Very strong bias for action because speed is life. So that's number one. And there are people in big companies who are happy in a situation where they, you know, kind of pontificate on how the future may go, but don't have the ability to move people to make that happen. They wouldn't fit in a culture like ours. And so, so bias for action. The second one really has to be to do with being data, data driven so that you're constantly taking your questions and debates and saying, look, we don't have to win this debate in a meeting. Let's actually, you know, run a test and control and see what the data tells us. And we do that a lot. And so you have to build the architecture and the systems for that to, to work. The third area has to do with kind of team dynamics, hiring people that can accelerate other people. Look, undergraduate, I went to, I went to MIT, and the ethos you get when you graduate from there is all about the only thing that matters is that you work with smart people. But when you go out in the work world, you find that's not actually true. There are plenty of smart people who are destructive because they want to be the center of everything. They want to be right. And so what you want to do is build a culture where people help and accelerate the people around them, not just themselves. So that would be one of the other major attributes we have there. So that you have, you know, a group of people that are, you know, biased for getting stuff done, who are very data-driven and believe that the truth exists outside of the building and you just need to validate it, and who are intent to work in a team to accelerate each other. I, those are some of the parts that go into what you kind of mentioned earlier in the call, and you said kind of the curiosity yeah. you need to evolve fast. 
Exactly. Yeah. Fascinating. A couple of very good points here. So from all the tidbits of, of wisdom that you've gained, I mean, if you look at your customers or your potential customers, what would you yeah, advise decision makers to, to start doing different? I mean, because I mean, the reason why I'm asking, do a lot of, do people realize that their meeting culture is, is one that is stopping the business from achieving uh, the right things rather than one that can actually help accelerate it? Yeah, partially. I mean, if you do a search at Google and say meetings are, what it's going to come up with is it auto-completes to meetings suck, they're a waste of time, and so on. And they're the largest kind of indirect labor cost a company has. So people are aware of how bad the situation is. I think for a while, some people just started to accept it, you know, just kind of like, like gravity. But when you kind of go in and you say, hey, your project managers and program managers want to be able to, you know, drive actions. Your customer-facing people need to be able to know exactly what the customer said and want to be able to, you know, drive follow-ups in Salesforce. Or, hey, you've got Salesforce, but, you know, it's missing half the data. You should be able to fill it automatically. When you bring it down to those specific use cases for, for kind of project managers or customer facing execs, then it becomes very clear and having a model where people can try it makes it even clearer. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's typically the educational part to get people to action. And a lot of things kind of don't get action because people are complacent. It's like the self-talk that, okay, this is, this is the normal and we just live a bit. Yeah. I mean, and that's, uh, you know, in, in reality, what we've seen is a good virality factor, because if you are able to invite Eva to a meeting and you share notes with a couple of people, they yeah. get intrigued. They're like, yeah, you know, I want those notes also. And seeing Strong. it in action is one of the best ways that we grow. Strong. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. That's a smart thing because then it's, it just translates by itself. And from one company goes to the other one. People are talking about it at home. Did you see what, did you know what I've experienced today? So what is next for you? What is next for your company? You know, really, it's about raising the IQ, the collective IQ of having better meetings. And the reason I say that is Salesforce did a good thing. They didn't just produce a CRM tool. They educated a Salesforce on the idea that you had to have a pipeline with stages. Stages had to have probability. The data had to be in the system. And then you could have a clean forecast that you could exceed. And I think they raised the IQ of Salesforces around the globe because of that. And we want to do the same thing with meetings in the sense that we don't want you just to have a tool that's there to take notes. We want you to have better meetings by basically uh, prepped with agendas, marked actions, actions shared to other people, updated yeah, in workflow. And we think that impact will be measurable and will restore people's attention to do deep work. Exactly. So, I mean, I think you've made a lot of people very anxious about to, to understand, you know, where they can get their hands on this. So where can people go to find out more about Voicea? Awesome. Please come to Voicea. That's just spelled voice with an A at the end. Voicea.com or go to the App Store, sign up for a free account, invite Eva to your next meeting or let Eva automatically show up. And please do give us feedback. We're always eager to learn and evolve and exceed expectations. Perfect. And where can people go to say hi to you? Twitter, Otawakol or OmarT at Voicea.ai. Very good. Well, thank you very much. I thought this was a very inspiring and thought-provoking call. And I really like a couple of your of the points that you made and the beliefs that you have around yeah, driving this. So good luck with the business going forward. And thank you so much for having me as a guest. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Same on my side. And for everybody listening today, thank you for tuning into this podcast. 
I had the honor to speak to Omar Tabakol, CEO of Voicea. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So, with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas, and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs, or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.